This is Agents Influence Podcast. Bezos in several interviews it says Amazon is the best place to fail because they're always experimenting. They're always testing. And what he says in several of the letters is that we experiment all the time. By its very nature, an experiment has to have failure as a part of it. The question is, what are you going to learn from it? For our industry, certainly, is we are risk averse. I'm hoping this book will help more and more agents and brokers think, okay, how do we take smart risk? How do we ex- move the needle, as Bezos would say? I'm Jason Cass, and we're going to help you think differently, change your agency, change your finances, change your family, and in the end, we're going to change an industry. Let's go. Hey, 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 hey. How are y'all everybody doing out there? Welcome to Agents Influence Podcast, Conversations with Jason Cass. And uh, today we do have a special one where we've got someone on, uh, Mr. Steve Anderson. This is actually for all you listeners listening across the world, because believe it or not, we have around 900 and some people that are that are listed on our uh, email list that are not in America. So no matter where you're listening around the world, I want you to know that this is a special podcast. This is going to be a podcast that I'm where I'm actually recording live. That sounds funny. That's an oxymoron. But there is a live group here of agents. We have about 24 agents that are on with Steve Anderson, and we're going to record this um, and leave it open as an open forum. The 24 agents that are in here are part of AI Mastermind. As a loyal listener, I know for a fact that you know about AI Mastermind. Um, so I'm going to just cut to it. I wanted to kind of set the stage, but uh, Mr. Steve Anderson, welcome. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Jason. Always great to talk with you. It is. And I think I could be wrong, but I believe this is your fourth time, which would make you my number one, probably most visited guest. Um, I don't well, know what I, that really means. I'm but- honored. Okay, well, good, good, good. Some people would say that that's a curse, but that's okay. (laughs) Well, you know what? I've been around long enough. I don't worry about much of that anymore. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. So, Steve, we are here for the basis of the Bezos uh, letters. It is a book, uh, The 14 Principles to Grow Your Business Like Amazon. And I'm always intrigued when you do things, whether you start a new podcast, whether you're one of the LinkedIn's top most influential people. I've always followed you. And as a way, you've never been a direct mentor to me, but you've been an indirect mentor as um, as a lot of people do when we follow people and we listen to the things they say and we try to execute those practices in our business. And you've been one of those people. And so that's why when this book came out, I said, this has got to be something different. You sent me a copy. I've read the copy uh, one and a half times. And I'll explain that that time later. And I want to get right on to this with the Bezos letters. And one of the first questions that I have, because I have a lot, I probably won't get to all of them, but I have a lot. Okay. What was the basis of this book? So you're sitting around, you have a million things to do. You speak all over the continent. What was the basis for you wanting to write this book? What was the aha moment? Uh, it actually started a little over three years ago when an industry group you're uh, fully aware of, uh, Agents Council for Technology, we started a, a work group called uh, The Changing Nature of Risk. And there were a small group of us that were really talking about how risk is changing. And for me, a lot of that 
centers around how rapidly technology is developing and and needing to be incorporated, you know, into agencies certainly, but into businesses of all types. And so, fast forward a lot of thinking, reading, research, I came up with this idea or this thought that perhaps the biggest risk a business faces is actually not taking enough risk. And so that led actually the first version of this book was called The Risk Dilemma. And it was really looking at risk from not just an insurance standpoint of financial protection against loss, right? That's what we do every day. But is there a risk in decisions that businesses make or don't make? Is there a risk in how long it takes them to do things? And I came to believe that there is actually a pretty big risk there. And it's different today than it was even five or 10 years ago. And a lot of that's around technology. So that thought led me to research. That research led me to Amazon. Uh, Amazon, um, one of the most inventive and innovative companies out there. And I came across the Jeff Bezos letters to shareholders. So the first one he wrote was 1997. The last one was 2018. Uh, 21 years, every year he wrote a letter. And as I kind of read a few and then actually read every single letter, uh, there's uh, almost 50,000 words total. I realized he had laid out what I call hidden in plain sight, his plan for growing Amazon. And it, it literally started prior to 1997, but he laid it out in that 97 letter. I put that together as a white paper, showed it to my wife, who's been in the book business uh, almost her her entire career. Uh, She looked at me in that look uh, and said, honey, this is not a white paper. This is a book. And so that over the last 18 months became my project in terms of, okay, what does a book look like? And the end result to that is what you uh, hold in your hand. Yes, yes. And, and you know, I mean, you blew my mind right off the bat a couple of different ways. First of all, the people that you have forwarding this book, the people that you have recommending this book are just not Jason Cass's, right? They're just not bogus Hansels out there. I mean, these are big, high profile people from Michael Wright to Jay Abram. I mean, you got some people here that uh, that's what let me know that, wow, this was firepower right off the bat. The second thing that you did that I think was really, really awesome is you um, helped me understand and blow my mind in the fact that he wrote the first letter in 1997, and yet, and this is somebody for everybody, and I promise, Steve, I'm not going to give away too much of the book, but I got to No, you're fine. No, Don't worry about that, Jason. You guys are going to find out, and Steve, I want to get your thought and how big this was to you when you first found this out the first time, that he always takes the letter he wrote in 97 and he staples it to the end of every letter he's wrote going forward. I found that fascinating. What say you? Uh, Oh, uh, no question. And uh, that sort of propelled me along the path. Okay, what's in that 97 letter that I need to pay attention to? Because he thinks it's important enough to include it in 20 other letters. I mean, and he always references back to that 97 letter when he's talking about a concept or something, you know, something, you know, one of the principles or something else. And that's why I included that 97 letter in the book and actually highlighted where I believe the principles, the growth principles that I discovered are laid out in that letter from the very beginning. 
And that, that actually says a whole lot about Bezos, his mindset, and in my view, really how brilliant he is. He really is. If everybody's looking at the screen, if you take a second to flip back, because I will have a couple things that I took out of the book just to share with you guys. This is a long thing, so I had to separate it in half. But these are the Steve Anderson's 14 growth principles. Now, guys, one of the things I want to say, which of Steve, another mind blowing moment here is it was laid out in there. I don't know if it was you that said it or it was uh, Bezos. It might have been you or somebody else that you that you made a distinction between growth principles and leadership principles. And, and I thought that that was really, really interesting because le the, the leadership principles help people become who they want to be or are. I'm, 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 uh, I'm paraphrasing here. But yet growth principles do the same thing, but yet for organizations. Did I say that right? You did. And so Amazon has 14 growth, excuse me, 14 leadership principles. And actually, they started out with about six. They've added more along the way in the last 25 years. But it is their vision, mission. It is what every employee knows. These are the things that we stand for at Amazon. And there are uh, some overlaps uh, in terms of my growth principles and the leadership principles. But I felt it was really important to be clear that what I saw was how to grow like Amazon. And so that's why I've made the distinction between leadership principles and growth principles. And I, I do provide in the book with the 14 leadership principles, because I think that's important. If you're going to understand Amazon, you need to understand what they think is important for their employees to know. Yes. And I think that that, that is the reason why, everybody, that I read the book one and a half time, because I think that first part is the most important to us insurance agents. I think this is the part that we are now having to really come to grips with. We're really having to find out who we are. And I think a lot of it comes to that first part. And I think a lot of it comes to what you just said is that at the basis of all this, he has an unbelievable culture of people. And he has that based on building off of that 97 letter and saying, this is who we are, attracting those people and, and then building out these growth principles, I think is so huge. And it just goes back to our employees are our greatest asset. Right. Well, and those growth principles almost naturally went into what I call cycles. So the four cycles are test, build, accelerate, and scale. You can see those on the screen. And then the 14 principles uh, are, are around each of those. And they're cycles because it's constantly going. You, you never stop as a business. You never stop testing. You never stop building. You never stop accelerating. You never stop scaling. And it could be your business as a whole. It could be a product line. It could be a department. It could be an, an individual t team task that you're trying to accomplish. These cycles are natural part of how you grow a business. So let me ask you this. I'm not going to go through each one of these. I'm going to pull out a couple of these. But it, ironically enough, encourage successful failure. One of the things that I thought was ironic, one of the books that was really big to me was called In the Plex. It was written about Google. Ironically enough, I was in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida with you standing in line, Steve. Uh, we were waiting uh, for a table. We were with somebody. And you said to me, Jason, have you read this book? I said, no. I went and got it immediately because anytime someone gives me a new book to read, I'm going to go do it. And one of the things that was amazing was is how Google spent two to three hours. They mandated two to three hours that their employees – 
would have to do something else related to what their job was. And they were encouraged to take huge risks and to create something. And if they failed, that was okay. Let's just learn from why they failed. And ironically enough, come back full circle, that's one of the things that starts and was really big with the testing portion of what Bezos says and the fact that we must successfully fail. That is like so key to what we are going to do. None of their other products probably would have come about if it wasn't for that. Did you not? I, I think that that's good news. And I think that that's something that gets a lot of lip service, Steve. I think we hear, oh, it's okay to fail. You learn from that. But I think it's a successful failure. Understanding that you really didn't fail. It was a successful failure. What do you say to that? Yeah, no question. And, and that's why we start with that as the first principle. The, what you mentioned with Google is what I call their 20% time where they spend on other projects. And that's where Gmail came out of and a number of the products now that we, we just don't even think about anymore. And at, at Amazon, in fact, Bezos in several interviews had says Amazon is the best place to fail because they're always experimenting. They're always testing. And, and what he says in, in several of the letters is that we experiment all the time. And if you know it's going to be a winner, it's not an experiment. By its very nature, an experiment has to have failure as a part of it. The question is, what are you going to learn from it? And they've actually built in uh, culturally and procedurally some things that really help them capture it wins, not even if, when something fails. Bezos always ha also has gone on to say, as the company has scaled, we need to grow the size of our failures. Otherwise, we're not making meaningful changes to our organization that, that affect the bottom line, like billion-dollar failures. And, and that's, uh, again, hard to wrap our head around. How can you have a billion-dollar failure and call it a success? Well, what Ooh. are you going to learn from it? I don't know. I, I, it'd be very tough for me to convince my CPA that that was a, that was a good. Yeah, that was a good. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I think you have to keep in mind the scale for Amazon is different now because of how big they are. But it wasn't 20 years ago. You know, they were still growing, but they were testing in a scale that was appropriate for their business. And so. You know, agencies, you test appropriately to the scale of the size of your business. You don't do things that are going to absolutely put you out of business if they are a complete failure. That's not a smart risk. And, and the other thing I would say for our industry, certainly, is we are risk averse. And so this whole idea of testing and being willing to fail, I think, is a very difficult concept, mainly because we see the worst that can happen every day. A claim comes in, somebody gets sick. I mean, all of the slip and fall, all the suits, all the, I mean, we see all of that. And I think it skews our thinking. I think as an industry, we are a bit different in that mindset. And I'm hoping this book will help more and more agents and brokers think, okay, how do we take smart risk? How do we, you know, move the needle as Bezos would say? Hey, Jeff Roy, if you I don't know if, if I'm just calling you out here, you may not be able to speak. So you may be just uh, muted or whatever. That's fine. But I'll read out what he's got in the chat. He's calls it ROR, which I believe is in the book, uh, return on risk. We are in the business to manage risk and insurance, but nobody wants to take any. Very ironic. The insurance risk is dilemma, the risk of doing nothing. 
He says also goes to Don, he says that insurance companies grow, as insurance companies grow, they will scale their failure. Will they scale their failure? That, that's, a, that's a question mark. No, this is scary. Not enough company testing and failing. And I have to admit, Jeff, uh, that that was one of the things I first thought of. Because I can't remember what you always say. You always say, oh, fail. Launch, learn, fail, fix. There we go. There we go. I thought of that when I was thinking of these these main things that Steve had laid out here. You want to elaborate on your ROR? I would be happy to. It's We all look at everyone on this call looks at their return on investment, be that marketing dollars or changing locations or, you know, whatever it is that you're investing in your business, you want to return on that investment. And, and that's a natural part of the way we think, but we don't think about how much can I risk and what's my return going to be on that risk. And so it's just a, it's a way of thinking at risk as an investment in the growth of your business. And for, for me, that's a, a shift. Now, in the financial arena, there is a return on risk, but it's a very technical investing kind of thought process. And I wanted to, I wanted to elevate that into a normal thought process within the decision process within an organization that, yeah, this may fail, but one, what are we going to do to protect the downside? And two, if we don't try this, what does that mean? Well, that becomes irrelevance. And that honestly leads back to that, uh, pr the last principle, growth principle for, for me, uh, one of the top ones for Bezos is it's always day one, yes. which is we always think like we're just starting. And now, Steve, don't go, Steve, don't go any further on that because okay. don't go any further on that. But yes, right. I love it. That's one of my favorites too. So Jeff Roy, uh, if you're still on there, anything that your brain uh, as an agency owner, you're thinking of this ROR insurance companies, age specific details or anything you want to add to it? No, I, I just saw it Steve Kopsher. I just say, hey, Steve, how are you? I just got I'm great, book. Jeff. Just got you in the, your book in the mail and started reading it this morning. So, uh, Well, I thought maybe I'd send a little love up north. Yeah, well, thank you. that's great. Uh, I was excited. To, I was waiting for it to show up, so that was great. I, I love your test, build, accelerate, scale model. I think that's great. I've kind of, you know, it's, I compare that to my launch, fail, learn, fix, but it's got a lot more meat in it. And uh, I was going through it, and uh, I haven't got through your book yet, but I'm really, I look at us, a lot of agents stuck at the build, understanding your flywheel is we're just trying to build that next data management platform. And unfortunately, we have companies that are big vendors that are trying to control that space and own it. And uh, we're trying to figure out building that next platform. You know, Project Neon's going in that direction. You know, the agents are trying to reclaim it. I, I couldn't help but that jump right out at me and I look at kind of where I'm stuck. And, uh, you know, your system is a video game. If you're stuck there, it's really hard to push through and uh, we're not going to get to that next lofty level. That was kind of what I picked up, but maybe I'm missing it. But that was some just some early observations. No, I think. Yeah, that no, I mean, I, you know, I, it, it, I think, again, it goes back to what are we doing to push the envelope? And again, in our industry, that's really difficult. You know, the comment about insurance companies, are they willing to risk? Well, no, we've seen that they're not willing to risk and test. When we look at new insurance coverages for, you know, ride sharing or any of the new technologies that are coming, they're lagging behind, not experimenting and testing. And again, you know, they have to be careful. No question about that. Um, and if they're not trying small tests, what what are they leaving on the table or not uh, uh, working on or accessing. So, yeah, I think that's great. And the, the graphic you have up here is the, the flywheel. Yep. This was perhaps one of the pivotal moments in Amazon. Yes. Um, 
and, and I tell short story, uh, Jason, stop me if you want, but uh, Jim Collins, who wrote about the flywheel in his book, Good to Great, in the early 2000s, it's chapter eight, Bezos invited Collins to Amazon to speak to their, uh, what's called the S team, the senior leadership team. And they spent a day and a half coming up with this graphic, what is Amazon's flywheel? And this thing is still working today. So when you look at Amazon Prime Days, right? We just had a few weeks ago, two days, 48 hours. That whole thing that they do is to push their flywheel. More customers equal uh, more, um, what do I want to say? More negotiating power for lower prices with manufacturers, brings more word of mouth in, which brings more customers. They get on Prime, they see all the advantage. It just continues to push that flywheel. And so I, I think that's a key concept. It's hard to think through because it's different, but the flywheel is a core, I believe, a core reason why Amazon continues to grow the way it does. Well, and it's so interesting because if you put uh, the insurance company as Amazon, and one of the things that I think that's interesting, Steve, about their flywheel is that their, their big bragging right is how much they can help other people sell, right? It's that third-party vendor. And I think even um, cutting to it in the 2018 Bezos letter, he actually brags about the fact that the third parties are starting to sell more than Amazon is. And I think that when you get that, then you get a bigger selection, which then allows you to drive down prices and then demand higher quality and just makes that thing spin well. And I think to myself, as I'm reading this book, I'm thinking, I wish an insurance company understood a flywheel and I wish they understand who their third party vendors were. Right. Because I, I think we could see ourselves in that and investing right. in those people. But they don't. They do the opposite. That what they do is is they they leave us and they start going and finding more direct markets and I think they don't realize that they're fighting the flywheel that they should be investing in. I, that was big for me there. Yeah, and I, I think the other comment I would make on that, especially with the marketplace. So when that first came out, there was ex extreme um, reluctance on the part of other Amazon executives to do that. They were opening up their website, uh, you know, landing pages that they had spent millions if not billions of dollars at that point developing traffic opening it up to third party and allowing them to be on the same page yeah but he, but here's why bezos had a gut feeling that it would improve the customer experience because they could find the product and if they could find it cheaper or find it on a non-Amazon provided basis that was better for the customers which ultimately would be better for Amazon that's right and and, and so when I hear today that Amazon is, you know, responsible for putting retail out of business, uh, actually, that doesn't support the facts. The facts are 58% of all sales on the Amazon platform are from third-party sellers. They are an engine enabling small businesses to be built using their platform and fulfillment services. And the ones who sit on the sideline and want to complain about the way things always were and Amazon's putting me out of business because no one comes in the door anymore, you just said it perfectly. 58% of their business is coming from that person. The only difference between that person who wants to gripe about it and being one of those 58% on there is just transformation. It's just yep. change, right? It's just knowing your flywheel. The reason why, uh, loyal listeners, that I really wanted to hit on this flywheel thing is because I, I think it's essential. Number one, it's one of the essential parts of the book of Good to Great. So if you've read that book by Jim Collins, then, then this is kind of familiar to you. 
but then actually hearing Jim say it, but then putting it into the structure of Amazon allowed me, which is the reason why you wrote this book, um, Steve, is for us to look at it in our own business. The reason why I read this first half of this book twice is because I believe this is a core reasoning of the reasons why we're having some of the stresses we are in our agencies today. We're having retention problems. We're having problems getting new business. We all, including Jason Cass, have a bad syndrome of chasing the shiny object. The shiny object may be important, but is it part of the flywheel? And I think that that's where it goes back to. One of the things that Tom Baker told me a long time, well, not a long time, about two years ago, that really changed Travis and I's thought processes was, is Jason, you have to picture what the agency needs to look like, the customer is going to look like, that you're going to go after, take everything off the table and only put back on those things that are going to allow that vision to come about. Now, you may have to add things that weren't there before, and you may be upset with the things that don't go on there, but I think that's the initial spot of understanding that flywheel. And one of the things that Steve lays out for us, if you look at the next graphic, is, is these are the three things that Steve says to, to try to make yourself think of this. And this is something, guys, that I'd really, really like to talk about at BrainShare, uh, if we could, for a little bit. Take 15, take 30 minutes and actually understand this. But what is the center of your company's flywheel, right? I think it's easy for us to say growth, but I don't want to necessarily say that maybe for everybody. So I think that's okay to challenge that. What are the key drivers or activities that turn your flywheel? Uh, once again, we're all like fingerprints, right? We're all unique. I also do think that a lot of parts of our flywheel are the same. We just make ourselves be too unique. And how do those drivers reinforce each other to make your flywheel spin faster? Th these were good. These were really good. And I have to tell you, I have about a page and a half of notes on these three things specifically for my own agency. Well, I can't tell you how much how pleased I am to hear that, Jason, because that really was my goal in, in this arena. And let me also interject, if you want more from Jim Collins, he uh, actually uh, published uh, what he calls a monograph specifically on the flywheel uh, a few months ago in 2019. <laughs> Excellent little document. I don't remember how much it is. It's not that long. And he gives some very practical examples of other businesses that have applied the flywheel, including a, a uh, an elementary school who applied the flywheel wow. to their – the principal did to, to what they do. So the flywheel is not just around business, but it, it really, I think, can help you think through, as you said, Jason, what are the core and what are the inputs? What are the things I need to keep pushing? And, and I might – even suggests it might not be growth at the center of an agency's flywheel because we sort of know, and you've alluded to this a little bit, retention is, you know, and I always get debates on this one, but is retention more important than growth? Now you need new coming oh, yeah, in, so yeah, that's yeah. part of it, but is that something to think about? Are you ready to transform the way your business communicates? Look no further than Lightspeed Voice, the ultimate solution for insurance agencies seeking a seamless communication. I've used them for over eight years. I'm telling you what I'm reading is the truth. Picture this, crystal clear calls, advanced features, unparalleled, flexible, tailored, just for you. That's Lightspeed Voice. Tired of drop calls and outdated systems? Lightspeed Voice has your back. Say goodbye to communication hiccups 
and hello to a new era of efficiency. I love that. Boost productivity with features like call recording, voice to email, and effortless call transfers. Work from the office, from home, or on the go. Lightspeed Voice keeps you connected wherever your business takes you. Don't worry about the transition. Our dedicated support and onboarding teams will guide you every step of the way. Make the switch to Lightspeed and join the ranks of satisfied insurance agency owners, like me, experiencing the power of seamless communication. Ready to elevate your agency? Visit lightspeedvoice.com or call 877.97-VOICE to schedule your free demo. Lightspeed Voice. We're more than just talk. Cast approved. No, I think that's – was someone going to cut in and say something? If you have something to say, don't say – I'm guaranteeing you there's loyal listeners listening to this podcast that are thinking the same thing. So if you want to say it, say it. No, you are right about that, though. I think this flywheel is key, and I think this flywheel gets rid of a lot of other issues, and that's why I knew I was limited on time. I really wanted to hit this, and I have one other area – actually, two other areas I want to hit. But does anybody else have any questions or anything, any thoughts on the flywheel – uh, what could possibly be your main, uh, the main center focus of your of your flywheel? I, I want you to really think of that. If you have any thoughts, anybody, put it in, put it in the chat, and we'll bring it back up, or you can say it now. Yeah, and I think Jason, it takes a little while to to really kind of absorb the flywheel idea. This is not an easy concept, and it's it, you know you can look at what Amazon did, and there could be some similarities there. But again, I make the point, your flywheel is yours. You have to decide what are the the core and then what are the key inputs that you need to keep pushing to keep that flywheel moving faster and faster. I think one of the reasons why this is so is when we go to the three lies that provide us from the big truth, insurance truths, a lot of the insurance truths have to be a flexible schedule, financially secure, being someone in your community, giving back, these are the things that allow us. These are the truths of insurance. But I think that sometimes we get away from by thinking of these little lies. And, the, and, the, and I say lies, guys. I tell you, I don't mean to be harsh. It's, it's just a marketing tactic. It gets you to pay attention. But it has to do with the fact that these are things that some agencies believe I'm dumped. And I think one of those goes back to we believe we need to help everybody. I don't think that works at a flywheel very well. And I want you to really think about that because what I've done, and and I have a little bit of a head start. I've had. Um, I then took a lot of the stuff that I've been thinking um, on the articles that I'm reading. I'm getting ready to. I think I'm going to sit to the mastermind first in the next 24 hours. Um, is is bringing that in and then applying these thoughts to this flywheel, and and trying to figure out what that looks like. And and I hope that we can carry on that conversation. But for the sake of time. I want to carry on so we can get um, Steve's ideas on a couple other things. I'm really fascinated with making decisions. Um, this goes back. Hey, somebody is typing, and I don't mind it. It's not too loud, but if you – yeah, someone's typing, and they need to mute their mic, please. Uh, I apologize for that, but this is a live recording. So so what, one of the things that we, that we like here happens to, that happens to be – this was one of my big things – was the decisions. I write about this in the three little lies, actually believing that you need to help everybody. I believe that we do need to help everybody, but I believe that the wrong person that we help is we think that our job as agency owners or as business owners is to help our the client or is to you know help the, the client get what they need. And I think that we're missing that. I think that the best job, we hear the word all the time, you need to work in your business or work on your business and not in your business. 
But when you hear people say that, no one really gives you a description of what that really truly means. Like, what? give me what that looks like. And I believe the best way to do it is how you're going to make decisions. And so that's, so that's what was so key when I wrote, saw that Steve wrote that and really highlighted about what Bezos said. Because when you start to look at your flywheel and you start to base on what we're going to do, decisions are huge in what you're trying to do. And one of the things that Bezos bases it on is he says basically, yes, there's others. But from a high level view, he takes it up to type one and type two decisions. And I really thought that these were interesting. And there was a couple things that I wanted us to, to point out here. And the type one decisions are major decisions with big consequences and there's no turning back. If you also follow Billy Williams like I do, you'll notice he calls those the big rocks. That's what Billy Williams calls them. And type two is decisions are ones that can be changed or reversed and the world isn't going to come to an end. That would be called in Billy's world, the small rocks. And I really like how he broke this down. Now I wanna get your thoughts on this, Steve, but let me write, read this one part of what Bezos wrote here. He says, first, never use a one size fits all decision-making process. Many decisions are reversible, two-way doors. Those decisions can use lightweight process. For those, or for those, so what if you're wrong? Second, second, make decisions, this is very important, right here. Most decisions should probably be made with somewhere around 70% of the information you wish had. If you wait for 90%, in most cases, you'll probably be too slow. Plus, either way, you need to be good at quickly recognizing and correcting bad decisions. There is so much meat in here, it's ridiculous. If you're good at course correcting, being wrong may be less costly than you think, whereas being slow is going to be expensive for sure. Now, I'm going to end it with this because this is an Amazon leadership principle, as Steve was putting in there before. He does he does mention these. these you did such a good job writing this, Steve. You did such a <laughs> Thank you. You really did. Third, and this is the growth principle I'm going to read here in a minute, but this is what Bezos says. Third and last, use the phrase disagree and commit. This phrase will save a lot of time. If your conviction on a particular direction even though there's no consensus, as an agency owner, have you ever tried to get your staff to do something and they push back and you quit? What he's saying here is, look, is he says if there's no cons um, consensus, it's helpful to say, look, I know we disagree on this, but will you gamble on it with me? Disagree and commit. By this time at this point, once you know that you can get, you can get an answer for sure, you'll probably get a quick yes. And so one of the principles that he says is leaders obligate leaders are obligated to respectfully challenge decisions when they disagree, even when doing so is uncomfortable or exhausting. That's the reason why we don't do it right there. It's uncomfortable. And so we don't do it. And leaders have conviction and are tenacious. They do not compromise for the sake of, of, of social coercion. And once a decision is determined, they commit wholly. I really thought this was big because I think that there's decisions that I was so gung-ho on a week ago or a month ago or six months ago that I'm not doing today that I think maybe those could have been type one. Those could have been type two. But I think it is looking at those and just agreeing that we're going to make this decision and going. What did, did you find anything particular with the decision-making process of Bezos like I did, Steve? Well, I, absolutely. I mean, I, to me, this is just such a core in speed. 
right? As he says, you know, and, and I want to read uh, uh, another little quote. This is out of the uh, 2015 letter where he talks about decision-making. And he says, as organizations get larger, there seems to be a tendency to use heavyweight type one decision-making process on most decisions. The end result is slowness, unthoughtful risk aversion. Love that phrase, by the way. Failure to experiment sufficiently and consequently diminished invention. And as they get, and, and we see that, you know, back to insurance companies and in almost any organization, they get less nimble. And so that becomes a real problem. And I think thinking about decision making as separating, hey, we can make this quick. And if we're wrong, let's make another decision. I right. mean, let's and let's monitor and find out. But at right. least we're moving forward. And one of the other um, uh, leadership principles at Amazon is default to action. So their default position is doing something, not mm -hmm. sitting back and analyzing. And, and that is very different from most other companies that I'm aware of, and certainly for a company now the size of Amazon. The Law of Priorities by John C. Maxwell says that action makes achievement. So you can't do achievement without action. And I think that that was what you were just taught. That was their default. And when yep. I heard that, and then I'm thinking about what I've heard before and, and, and what I read, I'm thinking, man, he's right on. It's one of those things when you read the letters and all of a sudden the, the, the matrix starts crossing, you're thinking to yourself, there's something there, right? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That was good stuff. That was good stuff. Guys, decisions are important. Decisions are important. You need to come up with a concrete way to make decisions from a high level and at a small level. In my article that I'll be writing out, I'll be, I'm going to give you the ways that we do it in our agency. Has it been successful? No, we've had a bunch of successful failures, but I hope to get that out to you and so that you can see that. Anybody else have anything to add here specifically about the, uh, the decisions? When you read the book, I don't do it justice here, but when you read the book and you read about the decisions, he, he's very methodical in how he thinks and approaches this. And to be honest with you, like he said, which blew me away, you should be able to make the decision when you have 70% of the information you wish you had. I really yeah, and I, and I think that is a key point, Jason, that you never have 100%. And if, and if you do, you're waiting too long. That's right. That's right. How many times, agents out there, loyal listeners and mastermind members, how many times has our biggest success come from the fact that we just want, we just winged it, right? And then it was that one that we really built. We really took the time to try and put this all together, and it really wasn't what the customer wanted. And that's what that's what he talks about there. All right, guys, we're going to wrap this up, but I want to end it with the number one thing, or not the number one thing, but the last thing that he talks about when you talk about test, build, accelerate, and scale, which the very last one that the, of the 14th growth principles is believe it's always day one. Once again, as I started this with, this was a mind-blowing situation for me that he is so dedicated to day one that he staples 1997 to the back of every one. And actually, in the very back, uh, Steve puts in here number 18. Uh, he puts in here 18, and of course, because I'm trying to find it right now live, that's when I can't find the damn thing. But if I go down back here, he said right here, his, in the, at the end of 18, right at the end, he puts, as always, I attached a copy of our original 1997 letter. I just love that, guys. This is conviction. This is somebody who said, here's who we're going to be, 
And we're, and, I mean, think about this. This is 1997. They have exponential growth. And then in 2000, everybody's wiped off the face of the earth. And I mean, they had, they, they still had very high success during that, not as much as they had, but he knew at that point in time. And I'm going to tell you, we as an agency, we have done this personally ourselves. We get to that point where 2000 comes, right? And, and the bubble bursts in our agency. And no matter what that could be, we immediately start to run. We immediately start to say, where's a new shiny object? We immediately start to judge doubt ourselves and say, where, where, where did my principles go wrong? How could I have been so right for five, seven, 10 years? And now it's coming to an end. I think there's a lot, there's the great hope here of saying, it's always day one, right? It's always day one. This is just what's going to happen. This is just about being successful. And if we can revert back to day one to why we did this, why we started, why we created this, I think it helps us get through the tough times a lot easier. What did you pull out of this, Steve? Yeah, and let me add another kind of aspect of that uh, day one versus day two thinking. Uh, and, and he talks about relying on proxies. And, and that was, actually took me a while to kind of grab, get my head around what he meant there, what he was talking about. And, and really, and it, it, it's really fleshed out well in the 2016 letter where he says, a day two company, the employees rely on process and procedures. We've, we don't do it that way. Oh, no, I can't help you because I don't have the authority. Oh, no, I can't do this or I can't do that. And so the his word proxy, my word procedure process, becomes the goal and the end result, not the customer, and making sure the customer is taken care of. And, he, and, and again, 2016 letter, he really talks a lot about that day two mentality. And when that starts creeping into a business, they are on, again, his word, excruciating, painful decline followed by death. Uh, and that happens over and over again. If, if, and he says the biggest challenge at Amazon is to not do that, and especially as they grow bigger and bigger. Wow. Yeah, I remember that. I don't remember that the pulling that proxy part out, but that was good. That's good. That, I think that, uh, just a quick one here. I think that's a good point. But one of the things people bring up is uh, people make the best decisions when they're under duress and things aren't going well, and people mess things up when things are going really well. You know, they, they, because what happens is, oh, well, I'm doing great. Things are awesome. You trick yourself into not making changes, not making decisions, and you get the rose-colored glasses. And I think the insurance industry is kind of going through that right now because there's a lot of people that have the lifestyle business, things are going well, and they don't see the uh, the lemonades who, in my opinion, are following Amazon's principles quite well right now and could be the real sleeper uh, in the future, right? So, but uh, one, one question I have for you quickly, if I'm allowed to ask, is who oh. do you see as people in the insurance business following the 14 principles on both the insurance company, broker, or insure tech? Do you think anybody's doing it well? What was your opinion putting your insurance lenses on and throwing it outward into our industry? Good question, Jeff. It is a great question, and it's a hard one to answer because I don't. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think some of the insure techs, you know, might be a few, but I think your point, Jeff, is 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 true. And the the principle number three, I call practice, dynamic invention, and innovation. And I think that's where, uh, again, we fall down. And I think the other thing, and and we haven't talked about it, we may not have real a lot of time. 
But one of the if I had to, I'm I'm getting asked all the time, what's the most important principle? And that's really hard for me to answer because they all interact with one another. However, I would say if you ask me what is Bezos' most important leadership principle, it's customer obsession. And, and that 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 is an area I think as I've looked at the industry, the insurance industry, we don't have customer obsession. So here's here's and here's a way to think about it. And, and obsession is a very particular word. It's not customer focus. It's not customer experience. It's not customer engagement. It's not any of those. It's obsession. And that carries a whole lot of meaning around what that might actually be. Bezos and Amazon, when a customer has to contact them, they see that as a failure. Because that customer should have been able to either fix it on their own. That's kind of worst case or better you know, case. But there shouldn't have been a problem in the first place. And where we think in the industry is we, we, we encourage customers to contact us. So, and, and again, I'm, I'm couching that a little bit, but if we viewed a customer having to contact us as a failure, how would that change how we interact and, and what we invent on behalf of the customer? Meaning what, friction in the transactions that we do between us or companies and, and clients and vendors, what could we do to improve that to improve the whole system? And I think that's a lot of what we talk about in terms of, Jeff, a lot of what you're doing with uh, customer engagement, you know, getting the technology platform, and that's not removing us but it's allowing the customer to choose when they want to interact with us and being able to fix things on their own. So a little bit of long answer there, but it's really hard for me to point to an organization that I see. Certainly some are following a few of the principles, but I would say not a lot are following all of them. Wow, brilliant that, answer. And if you've got some, really? I want to know about it, by the way. If you think there are some out there that you deal with or that you've seen, let me know because I would love to have some good examples to talk about. And I can say that I've seen some, like with some aspects. For instance, I think there are some aspects of Zippo that have that same mythology. They're trying to do everything they can to take the friction out of the customer and I have actually heard Rick, who's one of the, the, the sales person there, say that that's their goal is they don't want the customer to have to inter interact with them other than when they need to, right, uh, offline and through text and chat and things like that. And when he said that, I kind of thought to myself, that was pretty wild. Then I read your book and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's exactly what Bezos says. But in other parts of their business, Hippo, they're very much like a normal insurance company. And so I, I, I'm just saying, though, I, I, yep, I see. I get it. Customer obsession, I think, was huge. Okay, now, guys, as I wrap this up, I want to say a couple of things because I'm going to ask him a question about applied and tech canary that he didn't know I was going to ask. And I want you guys to get his view of this. I'm going to set it up. But first of all, before I do, Steve, is there anything last that you want to that you want to mention about the book? I mean, uh, you know, uh, people don't know it's being released in like, what, eight, 10, 12 countries. I yeah, the, uh, the as I mentioned, the ebook is available out now uh, on, on your favorite uh, ebook platform. Uh, the physical book will be available September 17th, uh, and that will be available both online and off. So it sh uh, it should be available in your uh, local bookstore. Um 
Uh, it, you may have to order it if you want to pre-order to let them know you're interested. That that's always it's. I won't go into all the how to get books in bookstores, but that's a whole thing. Um, but yeah, it'll be available, fully available September 17th. And uh, available September 17th, maybe uh, a little bit before that, I have actually created an assessment around the 14 principles that you can take to get an idea, kind of a benchmark, where am I now in these principles? And uh, my hope is it will give you a place to kind of, here's where I am, and here's some suggestions on what you can do to move forward with embracing more of the principles. So that'll be an online assessment that will be available by the 17th, and like I said, maybe a little bit before, all of that you'll find on the book website, which is the Bezos, B-E-Z-O-S letters, plural, with an S on the end, dot com, the Bezosletters.com. That's right. That's right. Steve, thanks for taking your time to do this. I've written a book, nowhere near this much research, and it takes a lot of time. Um, I was talking with Annie and Amy DeFranco, who uh, she's writing a book right now on another podcast. And I told her, I said, the thing that I hated about writing a book was, is I ended up disliking my book by the time I read it because I had read the damn thing so many dang times. I was getting tired of having to read it. It would go through editing and then I'd have to read it again. And it, oh, it was crazy. So thank you very much. I do know firsthand how. how yeah, my pleasure. I uh, the, the phrase I use, Jason, is I love having written a book. I don't like writing a book. That's right. I'm you understand that, don't you? I, I understand exactly what you mean. I was talking with somebody about podcasting. Everybody thinks podcasting is just doing a recording and that's it. To be honest with you, it's a grind. I mean, it is an absolute grind that I love, right? Like a golfer loves to grind. But uh, it's a grind doing some of this stuff. So thank you very much. Now, Steve, let me ask you this question that you were not expecting. And it has to do with an insurance question. If you guys don't know, I remember back in the mid-2000s, Steve wrote a, a little book that he put together for agents. He took like 50 or 60 management systems, researched them. I've always seen Steve Anderson as the management guy. He's very heavily involved with Agents Council for Technology. If you're a Big Eye member, that's something you should be looking at, looking into. But the thing about it is, is that Steve was at um, – was at uh, Grow Lab 2017 in Charlotte, and he's sitting in one of the front tables to the right. I remember it. And one of the things that Steve got a lot of pushback on um, when people commented to me was, Steve, you said something. You said, you said, guys, I understand Tech Canary's in the room. I understand that we have, you know, these little systems popping up, but in 15 to 20 years, and you may have said 30, I can't remember. You said it's hard to not see Vertifly for and applied dominating and being the main management systems in the insurance industry. And my question to you is two years later, would you change anything about that thought? Um, I, uh, yeah, I you're, you're you're spring it on me. So give me, give me just a couple seconds uh, <laughs> to get my thoughts together. Yes and no. The reason I said that and certainly would put it there also is what I've discovered over almost 25 years now of helping agencies select agency management systems is that the final decision very often on what platform to bet on comes down to financial stability and not features and functionality. And so I will point to Tech Canary now, right? Uh, interesting, 
I was actually involved over the last year in, in several things I can't tell you about with them, but looking for investment. And now they're gone, right? Applied acquired them. We could argue good or bad. Why did Applied buy them? Did they want to get rid of a, a competitor? Maybe. I think it was more access to the development team and the Salesforce aspect. I think there'll be some interesting things coming out of Applied in the next year or two. Uh, don't have too much inside information on that. That's just my feeling. And it's really hard for a startup to get traction. An agency, and, and I would say smaller agencies are, are more likely to bet on something new. No question. A, an older agency, and not even bigger, but just been around a while, are that my view is less likely to, to bet on a, an unknown. The technology is getting better, but frankly, agencies only at the earliest think about looking at a new system every 10 years. Mm. So think about the sales cycle for a new startup that needs cash to keep going. That actually becomes one of the biggest. And, and, and literally, Jason, as we're talking here, probably in the last two weeks, I've come across two different, had one conversation, uh, Neon's another, right, just kind of popped up because of Sydney. I knew a little bit of what was going on there. And, and another vendor out of actually uh, Tennessee that popped up uh, that has created, quote, the next system that's, you know, best for agencies. So hope springs eternal. I hope they provide good competition because that spurs the big guys. No right. question. Tech Canary spurred the big guys. No yep. question in my mind. Okay. I know. And I'm agencies have a hard time making a decision to switch. Thank you very much for that, Steve, because uh, there, there was a lot of people that uh, didn't know you in the room. They came up to me afterwards like, who's this guy? You know what I mean? And, <laughs> what does he know? Well, I know. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, you've been around a while, which sometimes can, can, can put blinders on you. But a lot of times the wisdom over, overrides those blinders. And, uh, and it's just, it, mean, it meant a lot to me when you said that too, because it was like, wow. I love what you said though, loyal listeners, as we wrap this up, mastermind members, you hear what he said? It's not so much, it's more about financial stability than it is, what'd you say, features and- Features and functionality. Features and functionality, the three Fs, financial happens to be better than the other two. And I think that that's important because we as agents and agency owners, we look for the first two without considering the second one. So that's, that's, that's a good point, that's a good point. Does anybody else have anything else to say as we wrap this up? Steve, once again, I greatly do appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on Agents Influence Podcast Conversations with Jason Cass. Uh, I always I'm, enjoy talking with you, Jason. Appreciate I'm it. I'm going to do everything I can to let everybody know well, the genius of this book, and I mean that with all my heart. So thank you very much. I appreciate that very much. Uh, I love all the feedback. If you want to get a hold of Steve Anderson, it's Steve at SteveAnderson.com, I think, right? That's correct. That's right. That's right. Um, you can get a hold of him. You can get his newsletter. It comes out every Thursday. Um, I read it religiously. Uh, so be sure to check it out. In the meantime, tell me your thoughts and tell me your ideas. And I'm going to tell the world what you have to say. This has been Jason Cass with Agents Influence Podcast, and I'm out. Are you looking for an insurance community to join? Have you heard of the LAAIA? The Latin American Association for Insurance Agents is just not for Latins. Their focus on diversity and inclusion over the last few years has made this 54-year-old association one of the fastest growing and the most dynamic associations in the industry. 
With established chapters in Florida, Houston, Dallas, Atlanta, and Denver, it's no surprise this association has the attention of everyone in this industry. Their upcoming national convention on beautiful Marco Island includes keynote speaker Trisha Griffith, the CEO of Progressive. National leaders from around the country like Marshberry, Vertifor, Lula, and more will be here on center stage as well. And whether you're an independent agent, a captive agent, life or health agency, or even a financial services professional, this association offers you everything you need to network and grow your business. Make sure you check them out and consider joining me, Jason Cass, at the next upcoming convention. It's going to be August 21st, the 24th, at the JW Marriott on stunning Marco Island. This has been Cass Approved.